you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Aaron, good to see you, Kaleo. Again, my name's Chris. I'm glad that we get to spend some time together this evening. Glad you decided to be with us uh, within the history of the church calendar. Easter isn't just a one-day event. It's actually an entire season known as Eastertide, which is kind of a clunky name, but Eastertide it is. It follows right on the heels of our 40 days in the wilderness of Lent. Then Eastertide becomes 50 days of celebrating, which is like kind of a long time to be celebrating if you've tried to celebrate that long before. And it continues even in the midst of a world that doesn't always have things worth celebrating. We wrestle out in real time this tension that God has defeated death in Jesus, and yet death is still here. It remains, right? Joy and suffering are all swirled together in the world we live in. And so that's like the complexity of Easter tide. We hold on to this resurrected Jesus, this Jesus who's defeated death, who's set a new creation in motion, but we wait still. Every day, participating in this kingdom coming to earth. And we say, yes, Jesus, you are here now. You have done that, and you will do it again. And so we join you in that work. That's really then what the t- this season of Easter tides about. We follow around the resurrected Jesus, where he invites us to live as resurrected people, filled with his spirit, joining Jesus and fulfilling what he set out to do. At the beginning of the whole thing, right, he said he came to bring good news to the poor, to the least, to the last, to the lost to the left out. So today, we're going to follow Jesus into a locked room. Don't worry, it's not as creepy as it sounds. I'm going to read John 20, 19 through 29. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to tackle the passage together. The passage reads like this, and it picks up right where we left off on Easter Sunday. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. He said, he's into passing the peace too. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a story we get to enter into today. We just say thank you for being with us already. We acknowledge your presence here 
we invite you to have your way with us as we continue singing, praying, eating, hugging, learning, reading, studying the scriptures together. God, continue to reveal yourself to us. Give us eyes to see what it is you've done, what it is you're doing, and what it is you desire to do. Give us hearts to, to join you in this work as well, Lord. Remind us that we're loved. And would you just give me your words to say, words that are for you and from you, so that we would make much of you in this space together this evening. We love you so much. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So why are these disciples afraid? Like, what was it about the message that Peter and John had brought to them after they've peered into the tomb and said Jesus wasn't there that didn't satisfy? Or what about the message that Mary Magdalene had brought with her that was specifically from Jesus? Why weren't these accounts enough to dispel their fear? Perhaps their fear is understandable. Verse 19 says, that Sunday evening, as in that Sunday evening, right? The, the tomb had just been rolled away. The day of Jesus' resurrection is the day they're still now gathered here in this locked room, afraid of the Jewish leaders, right? And again, you have to go into the moment and go remember what they had experienced, and we're experiencing in real time. The trauma and the of the arrest and killing of Jesus is still fresh on their minds. Like that's a real deal, right? They had not, outside of Mary Magdalene, actually even seen Jesus. They were just hearing about it. So granting them their humanity for a moment, of course they were afraid. Would they be the next to die? Was a revolution about to unfold? Was everybody going to be rising from the dead? Like, what's going on, right? Of course they were afraid. I think to begin then is in this place where we don't begin to shame them for their fear. We begin to join them in that locked room. Jesus arrives in the locked room, as Padraig Otuma, a poet, likes to say by announcing, hello to you in this locked room, right? Peace be with you in this locked room. He just shows up. In that place, suddenly he was standing there among them, John says. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Right? Shalom, the wholeness of peace, right, has entered the room. I guess we could say has entered the chat uh, these days, right? Verse 20, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And again, just... Try as you can to imagine what's transpiring here. They're so afraid of all that's happening. And now Jesus shows up suddenly into their locked room and he says, check this out. I've been wounded, but I'm alive. Like, Talk about a message you'd need to hear right now. It's look here, look here. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then things get really intimate. Then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now again, enter into the intimacy of what's transpiring here. This is like what you'd been waiting for 
And now here he is, the wounded, resurrected Jesus. And what does he offer you but his breath? Here we witness the revolutionary downward movement of divine love. It's in this downward movement of divine love that Miroslav Volf says Jesus Christ empowers his followers to participate in it too. He's saying this is the way we're going to go together. The resurrected Jesus shows up for his disciples who've locked themselves in this room, brings peace, and then he breathes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the same spirit who descended on Jesus at his baptism. This is the same spirit that when Jesus showed up in Nazareth said, appointed him to bring good news to the poor that sent him to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Three days prior, Jesus had gone to the cross in the power of the same spirit, and now he gifts the same spirit to his followers to empower them to participate in the downward movement of God's love, which he says forgives sins and creates a community of joy in the midst of suffering. That's what's revolutionary about this locked room encounter. Wolf goes on to say, he says, The breath of Christ risen from the dead gives birth to the body of Christ offered to the world. A beautiful, succinct statement. The Spirit of God is given to the followers of Jesus, and it begins to form a new people with a new social vision and new social practices that embody the triune God that they're starting to understand for the first time that exists in this context of communal and mutual love. Go and live that way. All of this in a locked room previously filled with fear. But as is the work of a community formed in the spirit of the love of Jesus, Has anyone asked, who might be left out? Who might be left out? Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. So what I want to do is I want to turn a little bit the scripture as if it was a jewel, right? And and we spin it this way for a moment and we look at the story in a fresh light. And we look for an answer to the question we pose. Who is left out? Because apparently Thomas had been left out. Like just imagine the implications of that. Or let your imagination run free with the implications of that. Because as we look at the passage now through the lens of the left out, a few questions come to mind. And for me, the first one is this. Like, why didn't any of the disciples express concern that Thomas was missing when Jesus showed up the first time? And interesting, like, hold on, Jesus, we're not all here right now. And as we know, right, the disciples, in quotes, as in that's how John refers to them, the disciples, were behind the locked doors because they were afraid. But apparently the general term disciples didn't include our friend Thomas. 
I'm just posing the question. Where was he? Not afraid? Roaming the streets? Trying to find somebody, help somebody, be with somebody? Start a counter-revolution? Like, I doubt he was out for just a quick trip to the store and would be back shortly, right? Jesus would have been like, oh, I'm good on that. And Jesus wouldn't in a hurry anyway, right? So you'd be like, yeah, sure, Thomas can come back from the store. In reflecting on the whereabouts of Thomas, it's interesting that in John 21, which is the following chapter, Thomas was named as being present for the breakfast Jesus cooks on the beach. It's not a generalized term. Everybody who's joined Jesus on the beach when he appears to them there in John 21 is named. So before Thomas was left out, when was the last time we heard from him in the Gospel of John? I'll answer that because I've prepared for this moment so you don't have to like try to pull that one out. It was in John 14. And at this point in John 14, Jesus is in the midst of telling his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled, to trust in him. And then Jesus says this. He says, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. Essentially, Jesus confirms in John 14 that none of them will be left out. But Thomas chimes in, interrupting Jesus. And he says, no, we don't know. Lord, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas asks good questions. So with this now in view, right, how wild is it that Jesus literally comes back and gets Thomas? The one who missed out on the first round said, I'm not down for this yet, and eight days later he shows up. It's as if Jesus actually meant, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Like, just let that settle on you for a moment. The way in which Jesus interacts with Thomas, just Thomas, is the way he wants to interact with all of us. He says, I, I am here. Don't be troubled. Trust me, and you can go where I'm going. Thomas, I don't know where you're going. So I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. And you will always be with me where I am. And now Thomas knows the way. Like he knows the way, even like capital W, the way, the downward movement of God's love. He's encountered God's love even more in the flesh. He actually touches the wounds that define God's love. So here's how the encounter unfolds. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were still locked. I don't know. I don't know what that means, other than they're still afraid. Eight days later, again, just give them some grace, all right? Then Jesus suddenly appears, and he was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, and again, get into the room and imagine that all of the disciples that are there have already encountered the risen Jesus and he shows up again out of nowhere. I'm not sure how he's doing this because the doors were locked. Resurrected Jesus moves a little differently and there he is and he turns to Thomas. 
And I think at this moment, what I seek to do is to help us reclaim this encounter. There's something that we've been taught maybe over time, or it's just the way we're hardwired to believe, that he turns and he looks at Thomas as if like, seriously, you didn't believe these people? Right, like as if he's condescending. And I just don't think that's how Jesus interacts with Thomas. He's like, Thomas, I came back just like I said I would. So you know where to go and you can go with me. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here. How did Jesus know Thomas needed to touch him? Put your finger here and look at my hands. And the wounded, resurrected Jesus says, okay, enter into me. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And as this is transpiring, this encounter unfolds, right? They're in a locked room. I can't imagine it's the biggest room you've ever seen, right? They're in this locked room that Jesus has just suddenly shown up in. They're still afraid. They're kind of sure that Jesus has resurrected from the dead, but he keeps passing through the wall into their locked room. And then he turns to Thomas, and Thomas has this encounter where he actually puts his fingers in the wounds of Jesus' crucified body. And as you're watching this happen between these two who had not yet had an encounter, Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. Which can be language that just seems heady or like part of a praise song. This is like the most intimate exclamation. This is the most reverent exclamation. This is literally Thomas identifying Jesus as the one that John has been writing this whole gospel about. That this is who Jesus is. God and Lord. And Thomas is the one who exclaims it. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas refuses to believe the accounts given to him by the others. And I think, again, I've often heard that or read that to think like, Yeah, blessed are those who believe without seeing Jesus. But that was the whole group. The entire room, they, they, all of them walked in there. None of them believed anything until they saw Jesus. So he's just speaking to all of them. Okay, I'm really glad all of you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Which makes it seem like there's probably more Jesus followers to come. Thomas didn't want to believe the account. Just like all the rest of the scared disciples, they all refused to believe until they had seen Jesus. But for some reason, Thomas gets this hands-on experience and a speaking part. And I love the way it just connects the things that Thomas was asking throughout the Gospel of John. Perhaps then doubting Thomas isn't quite right. For even Jesus seems to have room for the inquisitive, wondering questions of Thomas. He even comes back and meets him and says, all right, let's do a hands-on experiment. If that's what you need. Surely that would mean then that Jesus has room for our questions as well. 
Surely he can handle those as we parse them out and try to figure out what's what as we follow the way of this Jesus who says things like, don't be troubled any longer, trust me. Let's go this way of the downward love that gets into the gritty things of the world. So before we finish our time with a song that'll kind of walk this out and then we'll eat and that's kind of walking it out some more, I suppose, I wanna just pause in this moment And I want us to imagine ourselves as if we're praying in a locked room. And imagine yourself in this locked room with other disciples, their followers of Jesus. And imagine whatever questions or wrestles or challenges you have at the forefront of your mind. And as you enter into this locked room yourself, Do you just imagine Jesus showing up there and have a conversation with him? So whatever your posture of prayer might be, would you just find that posture? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song here in a second, but we're going to, for a moment or so, we're going to pause and be still with Jesus in the locked room and find this Jesus who shows you his wounds And see what he has to say to you. Or maybe nothing at all. Maybe he just wants to let you touch his wounds. I don't know. But let's spend a few moments in stillness with Jesus. you continue to stay in a reflective posture of prayer, I want to set up this next song for us. In Howard Thurman's book, Deep River, the Negro Spiritual speaks of life and death. He says this about the spiritual songs those who were enslaved created. He says, the existence of these songs is in itself a monument to one of the most striking instances on record in which a people forged a weapon of offense and defense out of a psychological shackle. By some amazing but vastly creative spiritual insight, the slave undertook the redemption of a religion that the master had profaned in his midst. Donald's gonna lead us in singing the song, Walk With Me. And this is a song that was fashioned in the throes of being left out of being oppressed, of being enslaved, of being locked away in fear. Like with Mary Magdalene, the disciples, and then Thomas. We're invited 
in learning from these songs to pay attention to the way Jesus is walking with those he said he came to bring good news to, the poor, the captive, the sick, the oppressed. This song that we're going to sing, Walk With Me, belongs to the enslaved people who sang it, often worshiping together in a locked room themselves. The song belongs to the history of black organizers and protesters and ministers and Christians throughout history who have had to cling to these words as they and the people they love have experienced that life as the poor or the captive or the sick or the oppressed. And this song beckons us to pay attention to the good news of Jesus, that he is a friend who walks with us. So as we sing this song together and call on Jesus to walk with us, to be our friend, we also get to open up our eyes to view our community through the lens of the left out. And we get to ask as we sing, even as we call for Jesus to join us in our walking, who's missing? Who's locked in fear? Who's yet to be set free? Who's been left out? And then as we ask Jesus to walk with us, we might find the answer. Let's stand together and sing this song. Come on and clap your hands with me tonight. There's no way to do this song without the clap. So I'm gonna need you to get that clap going for me. with me, Lord, walk with me, walk with me, Lord, walk with me, while I'm on this tedious journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. Come on, sing that with me. Walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. Walk with me, Lord. Walk with me. While I'm on this tedious journey, I want Jesus every day of my life. To walk with me, hold my hand, say, hold my hand, Lord, please hold my hand, hold my hand, Lord, Lord, please hold my hand, while I'm on this tedious journey, I want Jesus
For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.